Hi, it's a Tuesday night. Okay, it's after 10 o'clock, actually. And um, take a look at the Parsha, which is being sponsored by Mishpach Stavansky. Thank you. And uh, <coughs> we'll jump right in. It's good that they're doing it. Um, you have Chad, the thing, obviously, well, there's, I shouldn't say the thing, obviously, there's a lot of human interest stories in Balos that has that characteristic. Like Moshe says, I'm done, shoot me, I can't take it anymore, you know, all that stuff. But, um, and Hashem said, quiet down, take it easy, you know, we'll get you help. 70 helpers. But let's go to the end, where it says, um, the story of the Ishakushas, which is clearly, in my opinion, and especially focusing on the text itself, the problems in the Hebrew text, the ambiguities, it seems to me, uh, is the most uh, compelling or interesting part of the, uh, the Parsha. Uh, and of course it says, as we all know, the classic story of Lashon Hara. Now what the heck is going with the Isha Kushis? Who's that? So there are different Mahalos. And you have to understand, when it comes to the Torah, especially the history of Jewish interpretation, you have entire different schools of thought uh, in relation to the Pashib Shad of Psukim already in Chazal times and in post in the Rishon Machranu times. That's just how it goes. And here's a classic example of that. Because there are completely different ways of interpreting this, completely different scenarios that are suggested by various uh, commentators. Now, you know and I know the regular one that we all heard from Rashi and all that, which is it's Tsipoa. You know that. So, note that Isha Kushis is Moshe's wife, and she's complaining that Moshe no longer um, is with her because Hashem said, Stay with me. You know, Shubulchem Aleichem, Batopoa Modi Modi. And she was saying, oh, you think it's fun to be a, the, the, the wife of a prophet? It's a bummer. You literally, literally never see your husband. And she suffered. Uh, that's a medrash, uh, Rashi calls it. That's just interesting. In other words, let's put it this way. That's a problematic scenario of its own. What I mean by that is, why should she, why does she make it that she should suffer? And if you tell me because you can't be in this, the rest of your I mean, Hashem could do anything. Moshe Rabbeinu, has his own rules. And I'm not saying that be flippant. You know, Moshe was, you know, unique, as you know. And there's no such thing that he couldn't or anything like that. I mean, he has his own set of rules. I could make a very nice interpretation, just like they say, the Maris Atsovos, that, you know, the, we talk about Kedusha Sazivug and all the rest of it. I mean, if anybody had Kedusha Sazivug, going Moshe Rabbeinu, why should that have been antithetical, you know, to the prophetic experience? They're not push it. You understand? It's it, It's not clear. But anyway, that's one story. And then Hashem basically, if it gets angry at him, he basically saying, you know, uh, why are you uh, poking your nose into his life when he does it at my command? Okay? You know, you're different. You're not on his level. They said, we also, Hashem speaks to us also. Hashem said, no, I don't. Not that way. And, you know, and that's uh, that was the retort. Moshe didn't give the retort because he was on a Mikol on him. That's the plain Midrashic, Agatha, old-fashioned way of reading the Parsha. There are many Mepharshim, uh, especially the ones who are into Pshat, uh, shall we say, more. We're always bothered by this. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm thinking classically of the Rajbam over here, but also Yosef Bechor Let me pull up the page. There's things over here. And, uh, and they will say that, no, it's talking about... Um, Where's the Rajbam over here? It's it, it's it, it, 
Moshe married a Kushai woman. It's not Sippar at all. By the way, that's in Chazal also. If you, I remember seeing in the past, some say it was Sippar, and some say it was the Kushis. So even then, there are two fundamental, as far as I can see, I can only tell you what I can see, as I always say, there are two fundamental schools of thought of who is this Isha Kushis. And it's very fascinating when you get into it a little bit, okay? Um, one way, and the strangest Mepharshim quote this, is that the Isha Kushis was, a, was an Ethiopian princess that Moses had married decades before, when he was an Egyptian general and had conquered Ethiopia, and it's in Josephus, for example, but Chazal and Kony from Josephus, there are Midrashim, which the Rishonim referred to as semi-reliable, or, you know, semi-reliable, and very often they don't do, they don't rely on them, and here, for whatever reason, they do. I'm going to pull out my rusty, trusty Rajmam over here with the wonderful notes of Lakshin. I happen to like the notes. Uh, he did a good job, in my opinion. And of course, when he says the uh, the like it's written in the history books, the Moshe the Moshe was a king in Ethiopia for forty years, right? And he married an Egyptian, uh, an Ethiopian princess. didn't live with her. And in other words, so in other words, it was just like a show marriage or something like that. And different one really married or something like that. And but Aaron and and the other one didn't know that, and Miriam didn't know it. Uh, you know, uh, and that's why they were complaining. But that's very strange, because that's something that happened decades before. I don't think most of us even think of what I just read, what he calls Divrei Yamin, which are the historical accounts. And these are this Midrashim, which, you know, I mean, it's not a Medish Rabba, it's not a Medish Tanchuma, it's not Picker Blazer. It's one of these Midrashim, like you have in the Utsa Midrashim from Eisenstein or something like that. Uh, and on the other hand, I'll say it again, long before the Medish was written, Flavius Josephus, in his famous history of the Jews, does talk about Moses being a a general of the Egyptian army when he was in his Gaisha phase, and he commanded his... It's a whole long story, by the way, you know. I forget how it goes. They had alligators or something like this. And by the time it's all over, Moshe marries the, Egypt, the Ethiopian princess. This puts a whole different spin. I mean, I don't think most of us, you and I, are not usually accustomed to thinking and swallowing this. We don't think of Moshe Benu, who lived to be 120 to have spent one-third of his life, approximately, 40 years. When I mean approximately, maybe it wasn't exactly 40, but, you know, a big chunk of his life in Ethiopia, governing the country on behalf of Pharaoh. Like, what is that? What is that? It's not like he made one trip there or something like that, you know. Uh, and that, of course, goes to the Mahalik that Moshe was um, uh, late in life when he met his Jewish brothers. I've said this before. There are different opinions out there. By Yarbasivlo, some when Moshe went out to, you know, identify with the Jewish people and so on and so forth, which led him to beat up the kill the Egyptian, which led him to flee to Israel, etc., etc., etc. So, uh, how old was he? Well, I mean, according to this, he was. Uh, let's put it this way: he wasn't a general when he was ten years old. He must have been at least twenty, uh, the youngest, I'd say. So, uh, forty years in Ethiopia means he was. You know, um, what do you call it? In, uh, he was 60 when he came back. So if, if Moshe encounters the Jews at the age of 60, 
that's very different than the encounters in the age of 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 twenty. Uh, and by the way, you could do a whole nice spin on that because maybe the Egyptians knew of his Jewish origins and they figure keep him down in Ethiopia, far away from the Bnei Yisrael, and and you know he won't come into any conflict of interest. Because sure enough, when he came back from Ethiopia and he discovered his Jewish brothers and sisters by Arab civil Osam, then one thing led to another. Next thing you know, he's causing trouble for Mitzrayim. I mean, you could make a movie just like that. One day, when all this uh, Gemara's and art school will be on the movies, you know, like I've said many times, in the upcoming technology, you'll see one nusach of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu that for decades and decades, he was away from Kal Yisrael, including his own parents, because he was a, he was ruling a, in, in Ethiopia, far away from Egypt. That's a whole business. The problem with that shot, of course, is, and the Barbara and the others say this, then Vosep is now. In other words, long ago, he married Isha Kushis. So when he, I mean, I don't even know how to work this out, but I mean, I can guess. So when he returned to Egypt, she came with him. But then he fled and he didn't take her with him. And then in Midian, he married Zipporah, has two children with her. I mean, did he have any, any children with the Ethiopian? We don't know. You get what I'm saying? This is all a blank page. It, that's what I mean when I started t- tonight by saying we have an extremely enigmatic pa- passage of which all kind of theories and, and uh, traditions, that's a better word, have appeared to try to fill in the gaps of this narrative. And one of them, as I said, but, now if it's Tzipor, then that takes care of a lot of problems. But if it's uh, an Kushis Mamish, an Ethiopian princess, then how come they're complaining now? You know, I'm after Mountain Torah and all and, and all the other stuff after uh, the Lukashnias and you know it's the second year already. Like what's that piss? Uh, now, if you paid me money, I could put a shot into that. You could say, I think that Sora Moore. Somebody says, you know, once they saw his authority was frittering away because of the Kibbutz Satav and the other stuff, so now they brought up the old complaints like when you marry Ethiopian princes. I don't know, but that's it. it this is the problem with that shot. Okay. There's the problem with that shot. Uh, the third shot, which I think you, in Bechor Shor, who's a, who's one of the Balitosis, says, you know, as, as you would expect with, with the Pashtonim, I think it's the Bechor Shor. Uh, yeah. That it was something else. Yeah, here it is. So he married gear. You understand? Isha Kush is Lokach. He married gear. Get over it. Um, and what were they complaining about? Well, this is Yosef Bechor Shor. Again, repeat, one of the Balitosis. He said, He couldn't find a Jewish girl. He had to marry Gaisha woman. Uh, is it shot that just because Hashem is speaking to Moshe? Because it has to fit into the Pesach where they said, you know, So what were they complaining about? Why? Because now you're such a high level that you don't consult us? There was no Jewish girl around in the neighborhood good enough for you. This is what the complaint they made about Nodav and Aviyu, you know what I mean? 
and so forth. Uh, and uh, and he goes on to say, "Hello, Gambano di Bear." Aaron and Miriam say, "Hashem speaks to us." We we have Jewish spouses. Why can't Moshe marry a Jewish spouse? Now, wait a minute. He's married to Miriam. I mean, to to Poro. This and I mean, you can always say Moshe took a second wife. I, you know, I don't know. It could be, but it does kind of imply. I mean, to me, it kind of implies that Zipporah had died, and therefore he married another wife. That's that story, because um, because the puzzle never tells you what happened to Zipporah. I think we last heard of her in Parshas Gisro. So we don't know. Um, and it would make sense. I'm talking about the push-up shot level in the style of the Bechor Shor and the others, the Panech Raza and the others of this type of Mepharshim. Moshe was an older man. His wife passed away. He married another woman. So happens he married somebody who was a gear. So it's very interesting. What gear? Isha Kushis, Lokach. Where'd you get Isha Kushis? T- to me, it can only mean from the Erev. There's all kinds of different peoples that left with the Jews. I know the Erev is bad news. Not all of them. We've said this before. right? Not all the Erev. Some of them were Gerzedeks. For example, Basparo. You know, they were, they, were, they were. So, Moshe met. I mean, I don't know how it happened. But I'm just going with what this uh, Peter says. Okay? Uh, and he says that, what do you call it? That, um, you know, she was a, obviously it's a day. I mean, you're talking about Moshe Rabbein over here. So she obviously was a Tzedekis. And she had this very high character, like Rus. And uh, and Moshe said, yeah, she's the one for me. So in other words, this would not go with the whole shot of Shuvalachem Lolechem Atob Poa Modi Modi. They would obviously be learning Pashim Shot. Everybody go back to their tent. And you stay over here, I still have to talk to you. But it doesn't mean you should break off all connections with your wife. Just right now, I have to talk to you. Because he kept him up for 40 days and 40 nights. But Stamazar, you go back to your family. Not that you're now on permanent leave. You understand? If you hold the Vard as permanent leave, it's extremely interesting to me because, you know, who's complaining? Aaron. Aaron and Miriam. Aaron. And Aaron wasn't punished, you know, because uh, he, because his special is a chus, but he should have been, it says. Uh, this is very interesting. We have, you know and I know of two models of priests, A and B. One is the Catholic model. The other one is the Jewish model. The Catholic model is celibacy. Right? A priest cannot get married. And by the way, the Christians stole it from other earlier paganism forms. There were some pagan things in, in Greece and Neopythagoreans and others. You know, there's always been certain religions in which uh, the, the, the priesthood was required to be celibate. Uh, that's why there were a lot of violations of that. But nevertheless, that's part of it. So I can totally hear Aaron saying, I guess, what is this? Moshe setting a new standard, you know, separating from his wife. Are, you, are we going to have a celibate priesthood? Or something like, like who said that? Uh, you know, uh, I can't, is, is he trying to be a monk? Uh, you know, Hashem never said that. And not only that, but Aaron would then be representing the Ramban versus the Rambam. Who says that Bia and Arias is, 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 erva is, uh, is dirty? The opposite is Kodesh Kadoshim. You know what I'm talking about. So, uh, uh, it would, it would, if you go down that road of Pirush, of exegesis, then, then you really had a very fascinating Hashkafic 
and philosophical difference of opinion between Moshe and Aaron over this issue. And Hashem intervened to say, I'm not telling Aaron that you should do it, but Moshe is different. Right? You know, but Moshe is different. That's all. Get over it. Uh, so you see how many different directions we're going? And if Moshe married someone from the Arab, it's really fascinating because we know, at least to me, because you know at the very beginning, the whole Arab was the fault of Moshe Rabbeinu. In other words, there's a very famous Medrash. I've said it more than once, I remember. Back in uh, Kisiso, uh, where Moshe is getting the Torah and downstairs they're making the golden calf, and Hashem says, Lech Kishiches Arzo. What? No, I said they're wrong. That's from Bracious. Kishiches Amcho. Right. Raid Kishiches Amcho. Go down the mountain because your people have come corrupt. And Medrashel, I guess, my people, Amcho? I mean, notice Hashem to your people also. And Hashem says, no. The Arab, this is how the Medrash goes, not me. He says, the Medrash says that, no, the Arab Rab, I told you in the beginning, don't take them. I told you in the beginning about Sesis, I want racism over here, only pure Jews. I don't want the, the, the others. But I told you, but you, Moshe, who are firmer than me, you heard in Yiddish's expression, firmer we got, more from than God. Well, Moshe was like that. You were a kosher many. You said, I happen to remember this marriage for some reason. And uh, and therefore you took them. And now they caused all the trouble they goes of. That's how the, that school of Agatha goes. Um, so you see that Moshe had, I guess you see a soft spot for Erevrav, meaning people want to be Megayer, even though he must have known that some of these people be turncoats and will cause trouble later, or he didn't mean 100%. But he had what you call open-door policy. And when they goes out, they paid the price. But I'll say it again, it has to be... Now, by the way, it's not surprising to anybody that Moshe Rabbeinu would be like that, because his mother was that, correct? I mean, Pharaoh's daughter, you know, in Basparo. He was exposed and raised by a, a Gertzedek. Basi Basparo, Bissi Basparo. You know that. A Gerzedek, when you have the real thing, is a very high madrega. I told you in Shavuos, I think. She went that day to, in, to go into the water. She herself had worked through an Abraham situation where just on her own das, through internal struggle, she came out with the idea that there's only one God and all the Avodah Zarah is wrong. And so she must have had a quite a uh, internal battle and to give everything up and so on and so forth. And then she leaves with Klal Yisrael. And, uh, you know, Moshe says, I guess, if this is who we got out there, then let them all come along. And I can only surmise, me, myself, and I, I can only surmise that if he married an Isha Kushis, she must have been like that. A Gertzedek. So again, this is a completely different Mahalach than the Tzipora one. And it's a completely different Mahalach than the Ethiopian princess from 40 years before they met when during his Egyptian campaigns when he was a general in the army. This, by the way, is the most plain meaning of the Pasuk. But the Daber, Miriam, V'yarim, B'moshe, Al-Odos, Isha Kushes, Hashem, Lokach, Kisha Kushes, Lokach. That's where the Bechor Shor is coming from. You know, he married, guess what, at this time, Moshe got married, and it was Isha Kushes, and she must have been, uh, you know, in the, a Gertzedek, uh, who else would he marry? And they didn't like her, right? Uh, some of the Mepharshim would say 
it's it's undignified for a man to go call Yisrael to marry a gear or something like that. That's a, you know I, I forget who some of the Farshim say that, which is you know uh, it reminds me back in the sixties I believe, the head of the tour card. Remember that he married that French gearist, Amram Blau. <laughs> he married that girl who hid baby Yusselo and so forth, and she was uh, you know a gabaraba so to speak, uh, and. Uh, and she was an impressive person, and she was a Gerritzetic, uh, Ruth, whatever her name was, and uh, and his own children. I, I I remember the story vaguely. Those of you who are older than me and remember the Israeli politics will remember this. He had to move from Yerushalayim to Bnei Brak, the head of the Torah card, because his own kids were like uh, disgraced. I guess that he married someone with this background, even though it's not, what's what's wrong. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about a coin, of course. What's wrong with a Gertzedek? Right? You know, what's wrong with that? Gertzedek not regular whatever. You, you know, it's a it's a high madriga. And she was like that. I remember when I was a kid, boy, they, they said she was a cabaret dancer also. I made lies up about her. Because in politics, from politics, you lie. That's how it goes. You lie and lie and lie. It's unfortunately the way it is. But um, whatever the whatever the situation, this that's the way these uh, Frenchmen, fortunately, Panea Rosa, the others, are learning that, you know, Moshe got married uh, around this time, after the Kivar Zataiva, and and they were, you know, angry, and they were saying, like the owner says, why did he do this? Don't he know this is like a disgrace? Moshe didn't defend himself, because he was an Onov. By the way, if you go with this Mahalach, it's very nice. He was an honor to marry a Gertzedek. Notice why did Moshe say this? I'm the biggest person in the world. The Bernstein speaks to me and nobody else. I'm the one that got the, the, the Torah and the Ten Commandments all the rest of it, as we know. And therefore, he Yashar Be'enai, like Shimshim said, you know, if I want to marry her, I'm going to marry her. And, 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 and he didn't do any of that. Because that's not his style. It's not the style of Moshe Rabbeinu. Mikol Adam. And so he, he took the humiliation, and Hashem couldn't stand it, and he intervened, as we know. So uh, here you have three, I just laid out for you three different scenarios, each of which is is, is um, grounded in great Mepharshim, right? Whether in the Chazal or in the Rishonim. Uh, and uh, and there are three different Mahalaks, because the, the, the Pasuk doesn't say who it was. Isha Kusha Zalkach doesn't say. So um, it's... It, it, it's funny to me that way, you know. I mean, it's 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 strange, uh, but that way you don't have all the other pushup shot questions the other did. How come they didn't bring it up until now? Because he only got married now. How come it was about Tzipora? It's not about Tzipora. Matter of fact, like I said before, if you go with this Mahalak, then most likely Tzipora was Nifter by now, I guess. Because uh, why would Moshe want a second wife? Uh, you know, uh, we're not told that they had any trouble with each other, so Vesach Nisht, you know. It's it's very suggestive, very interesting. Now I want to tell you something. Uh, I noticed now. I never gave much thought to it, and here I want to uh, make mention of uh, this safer I got the other day from this nice guy in New York, from Avram Seeger, who was a nice of his machon. Nesiyaku is reprinting some of the golden oldies, and there's some David Oppenheimer, who's in time of Yonas and Apeshitz, was the Robin Prague. He was a millionaire. And a uh, very big Lomden and so forth. Uh, he himself was the son-in-law of a famous millionaire. 
and uh, he's he's going at this as you'll see in a second uh, with diukim. That's the old school. You look at a pasuk or a passage and you make diukim. Uh, you know why does he say this? Why does he say that? But me, myself, and I, I'm not a big deal. But I'm just reading now, and think of the following: the pasuk says that they spoke against Moshe, and Hashem called him out. And then he singled out Aaron and Miriam, Aaron and Miriam, And then Hashem speaks to them, Musr. Hashem said, That, by the way, is very interesting. Why did Shimu Please listen to me. No, right, is 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 you know a very nice way of talking. So basically, Hashem is giving them Musr um, without screaming. That is so. But on the other hand, he does hit her with Taras. So it's a funny passage. But here's the part. This is Perkid Base Pasek Vav, 12.6, if you're interested in looking up yourself. So listen to the Hebrew. The people who are listening to this podcast in the overwhelming majority can read the Pasek and Chumash. Vayomer. And he said, Shimon Adwari, please listen to my words, Hashem says. Im yen v'yachem. Translate that. Im yen v'yachem. Hashem b'amarele Now, I'm looking at the stone chumash. Hear my words. If there shall be prophets among you, I'll appear to them in a vision, not like Moshe Pelpeh. This is Akrashi. Im yen v'yachem. Im yu lachem nevim. Targum unkulus. If you will have prophets... That's not what Im means. I mean, you know Hebrew like I know Hebrew. Translate. Im If he will be your prophet. Am I right or am I wrong? Im, if, yeh, he will be, neviachem, hanovi shalachem. It's Hashem talking to Moshe and Aaron, uh, to uh, Aaron and Miriam. So in correct Hebrew, when you have a zachar in the cave, you're talking to a zachar in the cave, you use Lashon Zachar. So, if he will be your prophet. Now, it just caught my attention tonight, and I went online, looked on Bible Hub, had all the Christians, and all the translate. Everybody says like Rashi, you know, if you'll have prophets, you have Nevi'im, Hashem will speak to them in this way and that way. Arya Kaplan, I don't know what, he's, he's got a wild shot. You know, and he, I mean, he obviously knows the problem that I just mentioned. And according to Arya Kaplan, I'm reading here, listen to my words, God said, if someone among you experiences divine prophecy, then when I make myself known to him, I'll speak to him in a dream. Eh, you know, what do you mean? Experiences divine prophecy. That's not what the words mean. And at the bottom he says, literally, experiences prophecy to God. That's not true. That's not what it literally means. You know, Mario Kaplan had, had a bad day. He's quoting David Ezra, Septuagint, or experiences prophecy. I mean, I don't, I just don't understand what I'm reading here at the bottom and these different notes from Saadi Gona, from Ibn Ezra and the other. I just don't get it. I know enough Hebrew to say, if he will be your Navi. And I never thought about this before. I just highlighted myself this afternoon and was thinking about it. Now I never gave attention to it. And uh, if you go with the plain words, at least to me, you know, what do I know? At least to me, it sounds like something very fascinating. And that is, Hashem is saying like this. Is Moshe, listen very closely to what I'm about to say. 
This is Hashem talking to, to the brother and sister Moshe Rabbeinu. Is he your agent or is he my agent? Moshe is a great prophet and Navi, as we know, the greatest. Is he your ambassador to God or is he God's ambassador to the Jewish people? You hear what I just said? Is he the, the ambassador that Klai Yisrael sent to Hashem or the other way around? Now, if you think about it, plain story of Shmos, the book of Exodus, and Rekha and Midbar, the answer is the Jewish people never chose God. Right? I mean, when Moshe Rabbeinu showed up in Egypt and said, Hashem sent me to, to set you free. Right? And he and he brought the, the, the miracles, the sticks, and he did the ten plagues, all the rest of it. I mean, Kalei didn't have some kind of election and say, we take on Moshe. Right? And... Uh, what do you call it? The, the, I mean, you, you hear what I'm saying, right? It's the other way around. Hashem, at the burning bush, picked Moshe, right? And what that means to me, at least, the best I can make out of it is, he's not your prophet, so he's not responsible. I mean, he's not sent by you to me. He's sent by me to you. So he doesn't have to run things by you. He only has to run things by me. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? If Moshe married a Kushite woman, he cleared it with me. He doesn't have to run it by you. If he's your prophet, I would speak to him in a different capacity. I wouldn't talk to him pal pal. I'd speak to him like a great prophet of Israel, but only you know. I'm sorry, I mean, I would speak to him you know, in 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 a but he's not your ambassador to me. He's the other way around. He's my guy to you. That's why he always wanted to quit, you know. Um, and I wouldn't let him quit. Starting from the burning bush down to our Pasha today, when Hashem says you can't quit. Even Moshe said, kill me. He says, Hashem, no, you can't quit. So he's not Neviachem, right? Lokain Avdi Moshe. See the words? Avdi. Moshe is my Evan. He's not your Evan. So I got him angry because why are you speaking against my employee? He's not your employee. You see, if he was your employee, you know how people are, especially Jews. You have employees. You birch about them. It's part of the way it goes. And Adon complains from time to time about the Avonim. Right? That's what an Adon does. Even nowadays, I'm told in some places, not in Baltimore, of course, <laughs> You know, employers chaper, make fun and bother the people working under them, make their life miserable for them, and they want to interfere in their lives and all the rest of it. That that that's how it goes. But if the guy's not working for you, if a guy comes into a business and he says, "I'll be sent here by the government," you know, for example, I'm here to do an audit. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to run anything by you. And so you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the relationship over here. Hashem is saying, and therefore, locating avdi moshe b'chol neman who. You didn't speak about my Evid. So basically, if you had any complaints, you should ask me. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. If you don't like the way Moshe, if they're complaining about Moshe, it sounds like they have something to say. It sounds like Moshe works for them. Moshe is employed by them. I said, the Moshe is not employed by you. Moshe is employed by me. If you have any complaints, then you, as you yourselves have just said, that Hashem speaks to us, knows we have a, a connection, we have a telephone upstairs into heaven, right? 
Notice it's a two-way street, a two-way telephone. He talks to us, we talk to him. So if you had a complaint, you should have said, and this would be a very firm thing, over oh, Rabbanu explain to me why it is that you were okay with Moshe Marengei Kushis. And by the way, that way, you would have it straight from God's mouth what the reason is if he chose to share it with you. And okay. You understand? Okay. But that's not what happened. <laughs> you understand? That's not what happened. And so, Hashem gets angry for that reason. And of course, as we all know the rest of the story, she gets hit with Saras until um, Aaron and then Moshe, you know, intervene on her behalf. Uh, but when it's all over, it's become clear that, you know, uh, let's put it this way, that, uh, you know, Moshe is working for Hashem. And so is there anything weird about him or unusual, you don't ask Moshe, you, you, you talk to the boss. If the boss feels like talking to you, okay? Now we're talking about Aaron and Miriam, so that people, high Madriga. But, you know, I'm sure plenty of people in Kaleisa were always complaining about Moshe. But, again, it's along the same lines. Is he working for us or the other way around? I'm not that smart right now because it's late at night to figure out how this ties into the Korach Rebellion because it must. Uh, you know, is Korach complaining Moshe works for us or is Korach complaining the other way around? Uh, it seems to me, just standing here at this moment, that the heart of Korach's complaint would be that Moshe passes it off as if he's Eved Hashem, but really he's our Eved, and that's why if he's taking all this other stuff, it's corruption. You know what I mean? In other words, if Hashem told him that he should give his brother Kohen Gadol and Truman and Meister and all the rest of it, eh. but if Moshe did it himself, he's just claiming to be the Eved Hashem, but he's really the Eved of the, of, of the Jewish people, then we throw the bum out of office for being corrupt. You know, some, something like that. I'm not sure. Something like that. But we have here, therefore, very interesting, to me anyway, very interesting Mahalach in terms of relationships. Now, uh, David Oppenheimer, I don't have the book in front of me, in a very Abishutzian kind of way. Uh, hold on, let me see if I can find it. In a very 18th century, you know, it's an Abishutz type of way. He wants to turn this, it's very cute. I don't have the time to do it though. Um, I'll just give you Russia Prakim and you'll pursue it yourself. And that is, why is Aaron and Miriam, you know, complaining? Especially, and here's a nice diuk. I shared with you one about Emi and the Viachem. But here's another diuk, which you can work on if you wish. And that is, um, Harak Ach Bemoshe Diber Hashem, Halogambonu Diber. Isn't that, isn't that how it goes? Uh, right. Harak Ach Bemoshe Diber Hashem, Halogambonu Diber. Listen very closely to the words and see the problem. Harak ach b'moshe diber Hashem, halogam bonu diber. It shouldn't be bonu, it should be lonu. Here's how it should be. Harak ach l'moshe diber Hashem, halogam lonu diber. Does God speak only to Moses, or he speaks to us too? So be lonu, to us. But it says, it says bonu, and he, which is a good dik, and I think anyway, and he connects it, as as you see in the precious drachim, or or in the, the Yaris Dvash. And they're all contemporaries. Him and, and Yonah Samish live in the same town. They didn't get along, but they live in the same town. And um, basically saying something along the lines of, uh, wait a minute, 
he was married to Tzipora before Matan Torah. What happened to all the people who were, and this is in the Gemara, what happened to all the people who were married incorrectly before Matan Torah? Did they have to get divorced if it was all Matan Torah? So uh, wasn't Moshe's parents, for example, an aunt and a nephew, which you can't have. You could have an uncle and a niece, but you can't aunt and a nephew. And I think Miriam also makes the case was also uh, like that, right? And uh, in other words, he said, I'm going to show you, they had a halachic, this is, you know, the pilpa halachti. I, I like this stuff. He says, you know what was really going on? Because they had a, they had a yeshiva show argument, what's the din of those who were married beheter kodem matan Torah, v'neser b'shas matan Torah? Because again, if you had, for example, an aunt married to a nephew, um, did they have to get divorced after matan Torah? I mean, that would be a bummer and a half, right? Think about that. Iamrin and hol v'hutru hutru, do you say since it was mutter before Matan Torah, there was mutter liolam void? In other words, from now on, their children and they themselves won't do any more marrying an aunt and a nephew because that's against the Torah. But uh, that's Mikanal Haba, but not until now. Oh, Nema, where do you others say? Nitna Torah Nishach Halacha, Meata Trichim Lahatir Haagudah Shabinam, Shenes Alpia Torah, you gotta get, get divorced. And then he goes and builds a whole case out of it, which is really very nice. It's cute. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm already at the uh, way over my regular time. Uh, if you're interested, then you'll go online and see if you can get a hold of Sefer Yad David Al Torah, which looks to me very nice. I knew it would be good uh, from David Oppenheimer back in the early 1700s. And uh, it's a nice vort. You get it, you, you know, let's put it this way. If Tzipora says that Moshe is separated from me, then Miriam will say that's because after Matan Torah, you know, he couldn't marry a Midianizer or something like that. Uh, but then what do I, Tzipora, do? I'm sorry, what do I, Miriam, do? Because I think Miriam was married to a nephew or something like that. That's the that's the case he makes. Um, you know, and uh, uh, there's a whole bunch from the Sefer Mechablula. You know, it was... It was in the whole case, the Miriam was 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 originally a case of a aunt married to a nephew. So uh, you know, when, why didn't Hashem tell us this? Why is Moshe the only ones that bring his wife, and, and and so on and so forth? But uh, so I say that uh, with a hat tip, as they say, to Avrami Seeger for sending me this very nice safer from a David Oppenheimer. I like that sort of thing. And um, anyway, going long enough. So again, I want to thank Mishpach Stefanski, and with that, I bid you all, it's late, it's a, have a good night.